What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Haven't been in a school in a long time, but this seems like a big challenge to me. UNESCO, which is the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, um, released a report this week that, among other things, calls for a ban on cell phones in the classroom. Now, that's the headline. Now, it's not quite that black and white. There is some gray in there. But the essence of the report is changing the way we handle technology in schools. It's a bit of an overreach to say a ban on cell phones, but cell phones are a big part of the focus. So to get the details and maybe some strategies on what we should be doing with technology as it comes to the classroom, we're going to chat with Lana Parker now, an associate professor in the Faculty of Education at the University of Windsor. Dr. Parker, thank you so much for joining us. I really do appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. So like I say, the uh, the main talking points uh, in this report, or at least the main reporting that I've heard, is a ban on cell phones. That's That's probably a little too general, right? They're not saying necessarily ban all cell phones. They're just saying we need to come up with a strategy on how to manage them, right? Yeah, I think that's a perfect read, actually. So I don't think that the report is calling for, you know, one singular solution, which would be, you know, the kind of the headline which you're talking about here, you know, the ban on cell phones in the classroom. Rather, what I think the report does, and um, in my opinion, does well, is highlight some of the complex challenges around education, technology, and how young people are engaging with it online. So, yeah. The, the areas that I identified, I'm wondering if they sort of fit with your work in this area. They talk about privacy, cyberbullying, and the overall physical and mental well-being. I think all three of those go fairly close to being hand-in-hand, hand, but are those the areas of concern that you see too? Yeah, I mean, so um, in my recent research, I've been interviewing students and talking to them about how they engage with online life. And, uh, you know, what young people have been sharing with me and sort of generally what the research shows, including the um, report from the U.S. Surgeon General, is that it's a complicated picture. So young people can have a lot of positive benefits out of um, online engagement and using technology in general, things like finding you know, communities of interest or affinity groups. Um, It can be useful for them to, uh, you know, the students I talk to will say things like um, form friendships. But then there are also those challenges that you point out where, you know, the same kinds of issues that I think adults experience, challenges with mis- and disinformation, uh, with how to find trustworthy and reliable news, uh, with how to deal with the constant onslaught of information that can produce things like stress and overstimulation, mental health issues, and cyberbullying. So um, the, 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 the way that young people are experiencing online life and the use of technology is not really that different from some of the issues that we experience sure. as adults. It's just more developmentally significant for them. So what would you recommend if it came to trying to, because I mean, frankly, I mean, I've got kids, they're they're post-secondary now, but they were in high school not that long ago. And I mean, asking a kid to to 
distance themselves or separate themselves from that online existence. I, I don't even know if that's that's a reasonable starting point. What would you recommend in terms of how to navigate this world? Because it is part of their, like you say, this online being is is not all that distinct and separate from their real life being. That's right. Yeah, it's pretty porous. Uh, and they sort of navigate between they the do. two seamlessly, right? Um, and it reminds me a little bit of, you know, the concept of like, teetotaling or when um, the internet first came out, you know, um, companies tried to have filters for adults so that they wouldn't be, you know, scrolling away the hours on Facebook feeds. Um, And what I think happens when you try and enact a singular ban kind of approach is that, you know, people just find workarounds (laughs) and young people are no different than that. They're very good at it. (laughs) That's right. Uh, So the last thing that I think we want to do is, drive youth away from sharing their online lives with us, right? So it's already a pretty private space, as you pointed out, probably with um, most parents and kids, you might not always have insight into what your children are doing online, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's gone are the days where maybe we had one screen in the house and everybody's sitting around it and arguing about what to watch. <laughs> now it's a pretty um, private experience where most of us have our own personal screen. And so I think one of the things to be aware of with the language around a ban is that it drives the practice of youth online life and engagement with technology further into um, the realm of the private and for, you know, further kind of shutters them away um, from being able to talk about it in real life spaces, whether that's the dinner table or the classroom. So in answer to your question, you know, I think, it's a multi-pronged solution, and it's often the case that a ban might be the easiest policy tool, but it's probably the weakest one right. in terms of responding to the complexity. So um, what we want to see is uh, control and care around the introduction of education technology in school boards, school systems, schools, and classrooms, uh, because we know that ed tech companies are Uh, you know, profit-oriented, and uh, that there have been, as are highlighted in the report here from UNESCO, concerns about student privacy and how student data is used. Uh, So we want, you know, that's one thing that I think we want to pay attention to. Makes sense, yeah. I think a second thing is, as sort of seductive as it is to think that ed technology or technology altogether can solve complex human problems, that's often not the case. And so when we're talking about things in in schools, you know, historical problems of teaching and learning and how do you get students engaged and how do you give them lots of opportunities, um, it, it's nice to think that there could be a technological solution, but that's often not the case. Um, and so sometimes we need to have alternatives, and, and that's where you need really robust funding for public education so that schools can have tools that are both technological as well as, uh, you know, in real life tools like libraries, for example, right? And then the third thing I would say is we need a good curriculum that pays attention not just to the sort of how-tos of technology, how you operate it or how do you, quote unquote, navigate online in ways that are, um, you know, safe, but more robust than that, um, you know, curriculum that addresses how to be a critical thinker, how to engage with lots of different types of information, and how to figure out 
what a, you know a background agenda or a bias might be in a complex media environment or information environment and that's you know that's not limited to um like a literacy curriculum it has to be taken up basically from K to 12 and beyond across a range of subject areas. But it's such an important point because saying, okay, we're just going to take this technology and we're going to put it away, we're going to ban it, whatever the case may be. It's crazy because it is such a part of life. Incorporate it, educate around it, use it as part of the education. I mean, it is it is part of life. It should be part of the education, right? I I, I strongly think that driving it underground and ignoring the fact that most students will, you know, find a workaround for the ban. I mean, I I talk to students who tell me about the fact that they have VPNs on their phone so that they can override the school board ban on (laughs) Wi-Fi, for example. I mean, they're no different, right? Like I remember when the office bans were introduced for Facebook and everyone I knew had a workaround. (laughs) So you have to pay attention to the fact that they leave school and they go home and they're deeply engaged with their screens for the most part. So um, I think that classrooms can be a place where we invite them to talk about some of the context that they have in their online life and to deprivatize it and to allow trusted adults, whether it's you know family members at the dinner table or um, teachers in the classroom, to critically engage with it right. and so that it doesn't sort of stay just between them and the online world. Absolutely. I think that's the key. I think that you, you've hit on it right there. Uh, Doc, unfortunately, I'm out of time, but I do appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. A great conversation.